When I saw the graphic for the series, I knew I was either going to grow out the hair or get the glasses, and so I took the path of least resistance. Um, good morning and welcome to Mount Horeb Church. My name is Daniel Savanis. Um, I'm a student ministry director, and it is such a joy to be here with you guys. Um, and not just a joy, it truly is an honor whenever I have an opportunity to share God's word with people. Um, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to come together, to study, to unpack and understand uh, what God is teaching us, what he's asking of us. And so it truly is a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I have a confession to make, and I, I shared this with the last service, and um, I want to see who's brave and will confess this with me. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up, um, I grew up, I, said, I grew up Baptist, okay? Is there, is there anyone, can anyone confess that in the room, okay? And so when they asked me to do a series on John Wesley, I was like, okay, time out. What, 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 what are we doing? Um, but I, I really have to say, I've been so inspired by this series because um, I'll be honest, John Wesley is uh, the founder of the Methodist movement, and it's important for us uh, as we are following to know our roots, to know uh, what he taught and what he spoke about. But even more than that, um, there's so many contributions to the Christian faith um, that other denominations and other uh, groups would recognize um, and attribute to, to John and, and Charles Wesley. And, um, and it's not so much we're studying John Wesley, but we're studying biblical truths and biblical principles that he would adhere to. And so as we do a topical study through scripture this summer, we're looking at different truths and, and things that he taught and uh, would champion and proclaim that kind of became his signature messages. And so as we've been navigating through that, I've been super encouraged um, through our time together. You know, our first week, Trevor kicked things off and he talked about salvation and how the questions that we may have about salvation, like when do we get saved or how do we get saved? Is it a prayer? Is it a process? Is it a one-time event? Is it continual? He talked about how do we know that we are walking in relationship with God and what does that look like? And those are conversations that I've had with, with friends and theological conversations before that it's important to think about and to know and to process through. And then uh, Pastor Emma talked about discipleship and how it's not a, a course, or a class at a church, but it's a lifestyle, something that's gonna take a journey of our whole life to continue to be molded and discipled um, and disciple other people in our walk with God. And last week, Pastor Jeff did an incredible job also talking about missional service. And he had this one line that I loved. He said, this is not something that's optional for the believer. This is something that is commanded to the believer. And that one little sentence, that one little phrase of this idea that what he was talking about last week to be on mission for God is not optional for Christians applies to our message today too. What we're speaking about today, uh, you'll hear and find out is not something that is an option if you're a follower of Christ. It's something that God is asking you to do as followers of Christ. And so with that said, are you ready to hear about our topic this morning? Okay, we're talking about, are you ready? Holiness. Now, holiness is one of those things that oftentimes we don't talk enough about. We don't talk about it often in church. And if we have ideas and thoughts in our heads, there often can be uh, misconceptions and misunderstandings of what that means and what that looks like. In fact, as I said the word holiness, you probably thought about someone in your mind that is kind of like a holy person. You probably thought about someone who, uh, maybe like a Mother Teresa or uh, a pastor or someone, a friend of yours who memorizes a lot of scripture. Or maybe it's someone who never misses church on Sundays. Or maybe you think about someone who volunteers for every single event. And let me just tell you, as a church staff member, we like those people. But maybe you think about someone who is, is, is holy or, or maybe has a different status than somebody else. In Bible college, we had this professor. He taught the course on Romans. And he was the guy that we looked at and we kind of thought he was holy. And we came back from chapel one time and these missionaries had shared. And he said, man, I just love chapel today. We were sitting in class 
He said, I just love chapel today. When some people speak, you kind of think that they're a different degree of holy, like maybe their feet don't touch the ground. And as he said this, the whole class kind of like leaned back in our chairs and we looked under the desk to see if his feet were touching the ground because we thought he was someone that was holy. You see, the problem is when you think of a person and when you think of what they've done to attribute in your mind that merit of holiness, well, you're probably about thinking about someone who has followed a bunch of rules or has done a bunch of things. And oftentimes when we think in those terms, we start to think that holiness is probably unattainable. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we maybe even think that with rules and regulations and things to follow, maybe it's even uninspiring or unattractive to us. And yet in, in Psalm 29, uh, the scriptures say that, that we must worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So scripture speaks about holiness as something that is beautiful, something that we want to work towards and we've been set apart for God. And so today when we talk about holiness, hopefully we start to gain a right understanding of what it means. It's not just rules, it's not just things to follow, it's not just a list of stuff to do. Because truthfully, if that's all it were, then we'd have some problems. The first problem, if you think holiness is just rules and regulations and, and checking off boxes and following things, then you start to become a little bit legalistic. Can I be really vulnerable and honest with you guys? That sometimes is a problem for me. I become legalistic. Did I read a chapter of the Bible today? How long did I spend in my prayer time? How many Sundays have I missed? And I start to like check these mental boxes. And if I do well, then I feel like I'm doing good. And if I do bad, I feel like I'm not doing great. My spiritual walk becomes legalistic. The other dangers that it can become, can I be even more honest with you guys? Self-righteous. And this sometimes is hard for me. You know, one of the things that I oftentimes will do when someone will ask me and say, hey, have you seen this new movie? Have you listened to this new song? Have you seen this new TV show? Oftentimes, if I've heard that maybe it has some bad reviews or heard that you know, maybe it doesn't have a great rating or maybe there was a scene that was inappropriate, I oftentimes will say, no, I haven't seen that. I'm a Christian. Now, I'm joking, I'm joking, but just like Purell, Purell can clean 99.9% .9 of bacteria. I'm joking 99.9%, .9%, but there's a piece in me that still kind of feels like, huh, I don't do that. I don't listen to that. Ignoring all the other sin in my life that is a problem, I still kind of can develop this level of self-righteousness because if holiness is just rules, regulations, lists to follow, then it's legalistic, it's self-righteous, and quite frankly, it becomes exhausting. And in scripture, there was a group of people who did just that. They followed after the rules, they followed after the laws, they followed after the list, and they thought they were all that in a bag of chips because they did all of these things to a T. And they, of course, are the Pharisees. If you have your scriptures, I'd love for you to turn with me in Mark chapter 7. And in Mark chapter 7, we see a story. We'll have it on the screens as well. You can follow along. But in Mark chapter 7, we see a story that starts out with the Pharisees talking to Jesus. And as they often do, they're not really trying to gain understanding. They're more so trying to create some problems. And, and so they have this conversation with him. They say in Mark chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now the Pharisees gathered to him, when the Pharisees gathered to him, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding the, to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And when they are, and they are many, there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not wash, not, sorry, not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? 
Jesus has some words for them. And then in verse 14, he comes back and he says, he called the people to him again and he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that, is, that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So the Pharisees are following up on Jesus and they do this a lot. They're always looking for mistakes, for problems, and they notice that the, that the disciples didn't wash their hands before a meal. Now, is it important to wash your hands before a meal? Yes, all the parents, all the doctors in the room, yes, resounding yes. But you see, they did it for, for, ceremonial, for ceremonial purposes. The reason they washed their hands was because it was a tradition. They didn't wanna be unclean. They were so focused on the external, they were so focused on their hands, they were so focused on what they did that that was the most important thing for them. But the truth is, and we could probably agree, that the external is just that, it's external. How many of you guys know that you can go to church your whole life and you can sing all the songs and you can raise all the hands and you can volunteer and you can give money and nothing change internally? It's something external. And Jesus says, man, they're, they're so worried about the external, they're so worried about this. He goes, but what I think you should be worried about is what's going on on the inside. In fact, Jesus says basically that holiness is not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. It's not about what, what you put in. It's not about your hands and what they're doing. It's about what's going on on the inside and how he's transforming your life, which should spill over and overflow into your hands. And so he gives us a paradigm shift. He helps us to see things differently. He says, it's not about a list. It's not about the rules. It's not about doing everything perfectly, looking perfectly on the outside. It's about what's happening on the inside. How are you being transformed and changed? Something different needs to happen. He challenges the Pharisees, and this morning, I want us to think about this. How do we develop an inside-out understanding of holiness? That's where we're camping out. How do we develop this inside-out version of holiness that Jesus speaks to in these verses? And I want to give us three points that we're going to walk through this morning. You guys are still with me? Awesome. The first one is, to develop this, we have to understand that practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. You know, when I was younger, in middle school or towards the beginning of high school, I remember that I saw someone do this and I wanted to learn how to juggle. I was like, man, I need to get into juggling. I don't know why. I thought it looked cool. I thought it impressed some people. It didn't. Uh, but I wanted to learn how to juggle. And so back then, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have Google. And so I did what any respectable person of my age would do. I went out uh, and bought a book called Klutz Guide to Juggling. Um, I remember the book had like six chapters. I remember thinking like, why do you need six chapters to explain juggling? Like, it should be a lot simpler than that. So I read chapter one where it said how to figure out what to pick, you know, pick what, what you're going to juggle with. Is it, you know, are you going to use oranges? Will they fall and splatter? You know, are you going to use um, uh, bean bags? Well, you know, or what kind of, what do you want to do? And, and then it explained the pattern of juggling, like where you throw the, the ball and then where you throw the next one and catch the other one. It had a little diagram. I read through it. I was like, this is plenty. This is enough. Closed the book and went out and started to learn how to juggle. And so I took the balls and, you know, threw them. I, I just tried with oranges and apples first and bruised those and busted those. And so then I moved to hacky sacks. They were a little, you know, more compact. They didn't go everywhere. So I started to learn how to juggle. And I got, like, okay at it. But I had this one problem whenever I juggled. And that was that while I juggled, I always would throw the stuff a little bit further. I would lean forward and I'd have to kind of, like, chase after it. In fact, if I had started juggling right there, after two, three seconds of juggling, I'd end up over here because I was chasing whatever I was juggling. So I was like, man, this isn't working out. I'm not getting good at this. I can't, like, this is not a cool trick if I always have to, like, move with. And so I remember going back to the book and reading chapter two. And chapter two said, a common mistake for early jugglers is that you tend to lean forward. And then the, the ball will go forward. You'll chase after it. They said, to, to fix this problem, try juggling in front of a wall or in front of a mirror. 
I was like, that seems weird, but we'll try it. So I closed the book again, and sure enough, I went from the wall, started to juggle, and every once in a while, when I would throw one of the balls up, it would graze the wall and, and fall right back down straight, and I would catch it again, and it would graze the wall and catch it again, and eventually got to the point where I could juggle without it grazing the wall. And then I tried that somewhere else without a wall, and the same thing, and I learned how to juggle much better. Practice makes perfect. And you guys know this from sports, you know this from your, your skills, from your job, from anything that you're good at, your hobbies. The more you practice at something, the better you become at it. When we say practice makes perfect, that word perfect kind of stands out and it kind of feels a little bit like a, a sore thumb in this conversation of holiness. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, we read this. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's like, well, wait a second, time out, pause. What does this mean? What do you mean be perfect for your heavenly father's perfect? And this is a call back to Leviticus 19.2, which says be holy for your heavenly father is holy. It's like, so I gotta be holy? That's, that's my standard? I gotta be perfect? That's the standard? Well, if you understand sin, the, the Greek word for sin was hamartia. And this word actually comes from archery. Like, like if, if you had a bow and arrow, Katniss Everdeen, like you like pulled the arrow back and shot at a target. If you miss the target, that's hamartia. And so the standard is to be perfect, but we know that we all sin and sin immediately is missing the mark. So we're not perfect. So how do we reconcile this? What do we do with this? Well, the truth is that perfection in scripture does not mean flawless. Perfection means maturity. The understanding of perfection in the Bible is this understanding of Christian maturity, of growing in wisdom and growing in maturity with Christ. In fact, Paul would go on to say to be imitators of Christ, to try to be like him, be perfect, be holy as he is perfect and holy. He says that you should press on to reach the goal of perfection. He says that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Oftentimes people have said it's not about uh, not sinning, it's about sinning less. It's not being sinless, but sinless. Our goal is to improve. Our goal is to become better. Our goal is to mature. Our goal is to see progression over time. We don't wake up one day and boom, suddenly we're holy. We've never sinned again. No, but each and every day our choices, our decisions, our actions move us a little bit closer down the line. Just like we would practice a sport, just like we'd practice a hobby, just like we'd practice a talent, we want to improve in it continually. You know, I like to think that I'm okay at juggling, but I never reached the level where I would juggle with like fire batons or chainsaws. But even the guys who do that, I mean, they could even make a mistake. You would say they're experts. You would say they're great. You would say they're perfect. But they could still make a mistake. They're great at their craft, and yet you still can make a mistake. John Wesley often would say that we need to be perfected in love, and his quote was that our heart should be habitually filled with love for God and neighbor. Our hearts should be habitually filled with love for God and neighbor. And I love this quote because the part of habitually filled gives us this idea that it has to be something that happens over and over and over again. Something we've got to work at, it has to become a habit. I, I spoke with one of our high school students the other day who uh, plays golf, and I said, what is the best way to get better at golf? And she's already awesome and incredible. And she said, it's, it's going out and playing over and over again and developing muscle memory becoming good at your craft, becoming good at what you do. And so if it's following Christ, we can become good at following Christ. We want to be perfect because he is perfect. We want to be holy because he is holy. And the other part of this quote, habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor, John Wesley speaks to this. He says, you weren't intended to do this journey alone. You weren't intended to grow in relationship with God alone. 
In fact, John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley, when they were at Oxford University, put together a club, a group of men that would meet every morning and they would meet for the sake of accountability and growing in their walk with Jesus. And some people actually dubbed them and sarcastically called them uh, the Holy Club. And they would go through, listen to this, 22 accountability questions each morning. This wasn't just like easy questions like, do you read the Bible, do you pray? No, these are questions of motive, of, of, of heart posture. Is there, is there anything you, you've spent your money on unwisely? Is there anything that you've done that's displeasing to God? What is your heart motivation towards this? They would go through this list of questions over and over again each day so they could grow in maturity and grow in holiness. Wesley believed in having bands, which we, we've adopted this here this year at the church. We've called them core groups. That is a group of people, different than a small group, that meets to do life together, to study the Bible together. This is a group of three or four close individuals that know everything about each other's lives, their motivation, their heart posture, and they can ask questions knowing what is going on in your heart, what is going on in your life, and how to help you better grow in your relationship with him. I've been blessed to have a number of good, close friends, but there's two or three that are just like core groups for me, that are core friends for me. And I've had the privilege of, of being roommates with some of these guys. And uh, during COVID, or kind of towards the tail end of COVID, one of the guys was living at my house. And we found that me, him, and another one, three of us, would talk all the time. And we would catch up. And, uh, but we'd always kind of had to like triangulate. Like I would call one, and he would text the other. And then he would update me, and I'd update him. And I'd have lunch with one and forget to invite the other. And so the three of us were just kind of feeling like we were miscommunicating a little bit. So we decided, hey, why don't we, we use technology, and let's get on a Zoom call every week and catch up and talk and pray together. And so it was kind of funny because one of the guys was living in my house and so we get on a Zoom call. I was in my room on Zoom. He was in his room on Zoom. If he banged on the wall hard enough, you could hear it through, the, it would like create that loop. And then the other guy lived somewhere else. And so the three of us um, pretty consistently have gotten on a Zoom call every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. And, and listen, we're guys. The first like 20 minutes, you know, it's our cup of coffee, you know, crusty eyes, yawning. Um, but as we get through the, the funny and the catching up and uh, the updating, we start to ask some serious questions. Questions like, what lies are you believing? What are you worried about this week? What do you need to confess? How can I better pray for you? And then we spend time on a phone call, staring at a screen, praying for one another. That's awesome. We all live in different cities right now, and we're still able to meet up and connect and do that. And if I were to point back this past year or two years at what has developed me the most in my growth and walk with Jesus, I would say it's this group of guys coming together consistently and being vulnerable and being honest about how we're doing and praying with one another. We want to have holiness that starts from the inside and moves out. We have to understand that practice makes perfect. We don't wake up one day and suddenly we're great. We have to develop this over time. It's a journey. It's gradual. It's going to take a whole lifetime to achieve. The second thing that we have to understand is that holiness doesn't happen on accident. You don't wake up one day and, and you're there. It requires intentionality. We just said in, in Matthew 5, 48, Be holy, for I am holy. But also in, in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, it says this. These are famous verses I'm gonna quote for us. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed by the, this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that with, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's interesting because it starts and says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now again, we said holy and perfect. These words go hand in hand. And in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, when they would build up an altar, they would sacrifice an animal. They had to pick an animal that was 
perfect, without spot, without blemish, an offering that was acceptable to God. And so the same way when we live our lives as an offering for God, it needs to be a holy offering, an acceptable offering. But then he tells us how to do that in verse two. He says, not conforming to this world or not conforming to the patterns of this world. The, The New Living Translation says, do not copy this world, but be renewed, sorry, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the way that we change, the way that we become, the way that we become intentional about this is to start to think of the holy things, to start to think of the things of God, to start to renew our mind, to transform our mind, transform our thoughts. Think about whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is holy, whatever is perfect. Think about these things, the Bible says. I tell students, when we look at life, we don't look at life and then say, how does this fit into the Bible? No, we use the Bible almost as glasses, and we look at everything through the lens of Scripture. So as we face situations, as we face life, we, we look at scripture and say, how does this impact what I'm seeing, what I'm focusing on? We need to transform our minds. Scripture says that we are not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are in this world, but we're not of it. So how do we become different? How do we allow our conversations, our decisions, our choices, our view on things to be different because of our walk with Jesus? When we start to engage in that, we start to become holy. We start to become perfect. We start to change the way that we live. In Hebrews 12, 14, the author says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This idea of make every effort gives us exactly what we're talking about. Try, strive, be intentional about your choices and your decisions. Become serious about holiness. Try to live at peace with everyone. And there it is again, be holy Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's like what we said last week. We must be about this. This is not a suggestion, it's a command. Because if we don't become holy, if we don't change, if we don't have a different lifestyle, if we don't look differently, then no one will see the Lord. They won't see the transformation inside of you. They won't see something different about you. You see, the church today needs an intense aversion to sin. We need to get serious about sin. We can't keep holding it around like it's a pet. We need to make sure that we get rid of it and eradicate it. There's this story that, that as I was studying, Trevor told me about, and I was hesitant to use it, um, but then I looked, because I didn't understand it, but then I looked up a picture and looked in the story. This is an, an, an ermine, okay? It's a fancy word for weasel. Okay, it's a type of weasel. This is the, the, the white, t- white fur, black tip tail weasel or ermine, okay? And, and this is a type of weasel, and there's a, a legend, a story that goes behind this, that this animal is so concerned about their white fur because their white fur gives them protection during times of snow. And so the story, the, 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 the idea, the, the, the legend goes that the hunters back in the day would, would find their, their nests dug in the ground, and they would take extra mud and dirt and smear it and put it all over the entrance to their little, their little tunnels. And they would release the dogs, so as the dogs would chase them, they would quickly run back to their tunnel and the thought and the idea was that they would turn around and they would rather face death than to, to soil their fur by getting through the mud and the dirt to go inside of their tunnels. Now, we don't know if this story is true. We can't talk to the, the weasels, the little rascals. Okay, we can't have a conversation with them. But, but what an interesting concept if it's true, that, that we would be so serious about our sin that we'd be willing to deal with it, to face it, to confess it, to work on it, because the alternative is, is, is 
would, would essentially be to, to soil ourselves. That the alternative is that we would desire holiness. The, the alternative is that we would desire to, to live in purity. The alternative is that we would desire to follow God and be pleasing to him rather than to sin. Holiness is not optional. Holiness is expected. It should become a high priority for us as followers of Christ, as believers of him. Again, we're not talking about following rules. We're not talking about following lists. Those are all externals. How do we develop this internal mindset? We understand that practice makes perfect. And perfection is not this idea of flawless, but it's maturity, it's growing. It's being in a better place uh, today than where we were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. We understand that it doesn't happen on accident. We have to willfully decide to follow God. We have to willfully decide to live in holiness. And the last thing that we must understand, and this is probably the best thing, the promise is that holiness actually comes from God. Holiness that we're talking about, that we're trying to strive for and achieve and, and reach, actually comes from God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, scriptures say that it is for by one sacrifice that he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now there's two theological terms that explain this. The first part of, uh, by his sacrifice, of course, speaking of Jesus dying on the cross for us, he has made perfect forever. In that one instance, of that one sacrifice of the perfect, spotless son of God, on the cross for us, he made all of us perfect in the eyes of God. We call that justification. This idea that in that moment, he made us in the eyes of God, the best way to remember it is just as if I have never sinned. When God sees us, he sees us as holy, as blameless. And so in an instant it happens, we become perfected, we become holy. But at the same time it says that those are being made holy. This is the idea that it starts then, it happens then, but it continues throughout our whole faith. And the other theological term for that is sanctification. It starts when we come to know God and reaches completion when we are reunited once again with God. It's a lifelong process. But John Wesley believed, and as Christians and followers of Christ, we believe that we can make progress in this area, that we can strive for holiness, we can strive for perfection when we understand that perfection means maturity in Christ and that it doesn't happen on accident, that God gives us the strength to do it. It's possible, no, it's expected to not sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. John Wesley's view was not that we would never make a mistake again, but that as we followed God, we would fall more and more and more in love with him. See, that's the key to all of this. John 15 says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. As we walk in relationship with God, as we get to know him, as we behold his face, the face of the creator who died as the perfect sacrifice for us, as we get to know him through prayer and the pages of this book and in community with other Christians, God will stir in our hearts a desire to flee from sin, a desire to live a life that is holy. A desire to say no to things, not out of compulsion, not out of a superiority, not out of holier than thou syndrome, but out of love for the Father. We would say, that's not helpful for me. That's harmful for me. I say no to that. I reject that because scripture rejects it. Be holy for I am holy. Be perfect for I am perfect. We understand this to be a transformation that starts on the inside and makes its way on the outside externally in our lives. We don't go around following lists and rules and regulations just so we can turn our noses up and feel better than other people. No, we pursue God with the whole heart. 
and he transforms us from the inside out. He helps our decisions. He helps our, our processes. He helps our sin. He helps in all these things so that we may look different at the end of our lives, that we may look more like him through our lives, that people would come to know him because he is alive and living inside of us. My prayer for you guys as a church and for myself as a follower of Christ is that each and every day as I pursue him, as I follow him, I would grasp more and more that a relationship with him from the inside out will develop holiness. A relationship with him from the inside out will help me to look more and more like him each and every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Thank you for the ways in which you wanna work in us, grow us, strengthen and develop us. Father God, I'm grateful for all the ways in which you have spoken this morning, all the ways, Father, in which you help us to live a life that is pursuing you, that is making us holy, is making us perfect, not flawless, but growing in maturity. A lifestyle, Father God, that will look more and more like you each and every day so that we may rely on you to change us from the inside out. Father, help us with our choices, our decisions. Help us to become practical about getting rid of sin. And help us to start by beholding your face so that you may change our hearts. We may change our desires. We would pursue and follow hard after you, giving you glory, grace, and honor. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.